You're tuning in to the Bookmatic's Best Book Podcast, where you will discover author secrets from books that'll make you feel, grow, and learn. These authors are from all over the world, all different backgrounds, and you are sure to learn a whole lot from their personal experiences. So please enjoy, subscribe, and let's get into it. Hey, Bookmatic Lifelong Learners, we've got a great guest here, Julie Lithcott-Hames, the author of like three great books here. The one that I read and that we're going to discuss today in depth is Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. Um, so it's great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Julie. Matt, it's so great to be here. Um, it's uh, it's just an amazing community that you've built. I'm really delighted to be in conversation with you and your listeners and viewers today to talk about my new book, Your Turn. Mm-hmm. I love that subtitle, How to Be an Adult. Uh, yeah, pretty <laughs> yeah. basic, right? But pretty fundamental. Yeah, exactly. Like often uh, we we get raised and uh, like sometimes we get just thrown out in the world and we have no idea what to do. So can you tell us uh, exactly what is adulting and like, what is your book about basically? Yeah. Um, So adulting, it's, it's sort of become this mysterious, elusive way of being. That is so many millennials said, I don't want to adult, or I don't know how to adult or adulting is scary. And I heard those concerns and didn't critique those people as many did, but instead thought, wow, what has changed about adulting or adulthood such that the newest generation at the time, now it's Gen Z, but at the time millennials, the newest generation to emerge into that way of life seemed afraid. I thought, what has, what's wrong with us as a society if our young feel trepidation to enter a stage of life that older folks more joyfully entered, frank, frankly? Um, the, the definition of being an adult is simply, and I've had to you know, ask myself this, books were not written about what does it mean to be an adult until very recently, again, in response to concerns from millennials. And my definition is, uh, it is the opposite of childhood. In childhood, you're more or less the responsibility of others. If you had a reasonable degree of care and your parents reasonably had their act together, they looked after you. That was their job. In adulthood, looking after you is your job. And yeah, it's a little uh, bewildering at first, a little scary. But once you get through those scary moments, you look around and realize, hey, I just did that. I guess I am an adult. And that freedom, independence, sense of I can look after myself, that actually ends up feeling pretty darn good psychologically. Definitely, for sure. So uh, like, why did you write this this book at this time in your life as you know, you're what, probably in your 54. Yeah. Fifties. Right. Right, Uh, right. And also this time in society as well, because I I think it's a timely book. I appreciate that. And I think Matt, that's actually a bit of function of luck and circumstance. Um, This is really a sequel to my first book, which came out seven years ago. 
that was a book on the harm of overparenting. That was a book based on my years as a college dean at Stanford University, where I witnessed what everybody on any college campus was witnessing in those years, which was the rise of overinvolved parents trying mm. to kind of still tie their kids' shoes metaphorically, even mm -hmm. though the kid was in college. And that book was on the harm um, that visits a young person when they're overhandled, when they're basically told, you can't handle it, I'll handle it for you by very well-intended parents. So that book came out and it did very well and led to a TED Talk. And my publisher said, hey, what about a book for their kids? And I said, okay, and I signed that contract. Um, but then, Matt, I, I couldn't figure out how to write it. I struggled with whether I had any authority to write a book on the entire stage of life we called adulting for a, a set of kids struggling. Kind of like, who am I? I don't have a PhD in this. You know, what's my, what's my expertise? I really was afraid that I didn't have what it took. And um, I failed to write this book for three years. Um, mm. I wrote another book, but then this one was, was next. And, um, and finally, I, I just came to this appreciation that, hey, you don't have to be the wisest person who has all the answers, Julie. You are in your 50s. You have learned a lot. You've made a lot of mistakes. And you can sort of lead with that authenticity, vulnerability, like, hey, I'm older. I've done it. Let me just shine. Let me try with this book to shine a warm light back into the faces of those who are younger than me to sort of illuminate the path. So they see the pitfalls, they see the obstacles, they see the opportunities a little bit more clearly, simply because somebody is lovingly, compassionately, insistently shining this light. Yeah, I mean, I would say when I was reading through your book, that was probably one of the best things that I liked about it. It was just the authentic, uh, authenticity your voice, your uh, vulnerability, like you, you really open up to the reader. And I can feel that through the words that you, that you have written. And I, I feel like that's amazing. What, uh, like uh, that's the type of the book. That's the type of book that I would love to read all the time where the author is like just opening up, I guess it depends on the genre. This would be the perfect genre for that. So um what is let me let me say let me say sure let me just say one thing there because I, I appreciate that uh -huh. you could feel me opening up and I worked yeah. very hard to craft a voice that would convey that I'm trying to have a very close conversation with the reader but it I can't know who the reader is right so I I really strove for that voice and you said maybe it's endemic to the genre this genre is self-help but there are a whole lot of self-help books, Matt, that speak from a real distance, right? They try to just yep. sort of speak broadly to everyone and give you advice. And I'm really trying to close the distance between me, the author, and you, the reader, which mm -hmm. I don't think is inherent to, to self-help or, or, you know, maybe it's more inherent in memoir, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that was a very deliberate attempt on my part, and I'm glad it landed well with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you connect. And I think that's uh, the best part of your book is that you connect. So you. Uh, like, what is the the relationship between vulnerability and living a fulfilling life? Because I think there may be some sort of connection and you, you convey that in your book. Yeah. So I think vulnerability is for me, 
the antithesis of perfectionism and performance. I think many of us, and certainly I at a younger stage, walked through this life with the sort of mask on, with a facade up, sort of performing the self that I thought would be well-regarded by my colleagues, by my community, by my society, by my family. It wasn't the authentic me. I didn't feel I could actually be me. I felt I needed to perform the part of me who was more perfect, more et cetera. Mm. As I aged and began to appreciate that perfectionism, when we are perfectionistic, where it's actually like being mean to ourselves. Um, I realized that the far more loving way to be is know who you are, accept that, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm learning and growing. I'm trying, but sometimes I really screw up and that's okay. Everybody does. What can I learn from that? And um, being willing to see my, my flaws or my imperfections or the opportunities for growth allows me to love myself instead of be embarrassed by myself. And mm -hmm. then I can show up with myself, with you, with readers broadly, and just be a human and therefore connect with other humans who are really looking for evidence that we don't have to be perfect. And so when right. we pull that facade down and lead with vulnerability, honesty, openness, we discover, Matt, look how similar we are. Oh, hey, I'm struggling too. Oh, I had this really embarrassing thing happen. Oh, I really struggled. Oh, I wanted that and it didn't come through, whatever it may be we achieve greater bonds with our fellow humans when we're real, when we're mm. keeping it real. And that's what vulnerability allows us to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. I mean, uh, like just the idea of, uh, actually that's one of the chapters in your book. Yeah, like uh, you are not perfect, right? Uh, that's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book is uh, talking about, hey, uh, we, we are all human and we all make mistakes. You're not perfect. Just, you know, uh, accept that fact. And that makes you a better person. Right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. You have a lot of topics in your book, actually. Like how did you, cause adulting adulthood <laughs> is, is a huge topic. How did you go about deciding which topics to, to include, you've got like 13 chapters, one of them is introduction and the rest of them are like each individual topics that are interconnected. Adulthood, as we've said, is this opposite of childhood. So hopefully it's a period of 80 healthy years, like from 20 to 100, right? It's just everything. It's life. So how how do you break it down? It's a long book, as, as you've noted. It's a hefty book. Um, I had to try to cover all of it, and yet um, I can't possibly cover all the subjects a human might contend with. So I did some pairings, like um, let's not worry about being perfect. Let's focus on learning and growing instead, like the metrics by mm -hmm. which you should measure your worth and your success are not perfectionism. It's am I learning and growing? So that's chapters three and four in a pair. Um, there's another pair inherent, chapters five and seven. Five is called uh, Stop Pleasing Others. They have no idea who you are, which is about whether it's work or uh, your identity, your choice, your way, your knowing of yourself is what matters, not what others expect. 
And at the same time, chapter seven is start talking to strangers. Humans are key to your survival speaks to why human connection, uh, not the type that's judging you and making you, you know, be a lawyer when you really want to be a wilderness naturalist or telling you you have to be straight when you know you're queer, not those kinds of connections, but loving connections with people who get you and like you and love you as you are, those connections are vital to your wellness. So the importance of relationships sits alongside the importance of your figuring yourself out. There's a huge chapter on self-care because it would be irresponsible in this current moment, not to, to normalize and center the fact that so many of us are struggling with anxiety, depression, bipolar, eating disorders, all kinds of challenges on top of learning differences, processing differences. You know, these are conditions or situations that in prior books, almost always, you know, sort of asterisk, if you have depression, see page 400, this is not a book where you get an asterisk if you have some kind of difference. I'm constantly throughout the book centering the myriad differences that we all have and bring, um, not as a, oh, hey, if in case you have to deal with this, but like, I know you're dealing with this and your life very much matters to me too. And you're going to get through this and have an amazing adult life by paying attention to that thing and honoring what you need in mind, body, and spirit in order to thrive. So there's a lot, there's a money chapter. I'll tell you what, that's the chapter that was hardest to write, Matt. Oh yeah. I'm not a money expert. I try to handle my own money. Well, I've definitely made some mistakes in that regard, which I put in the book. That was the chapter where it was clear to me and my editor and publisher, like you can't write an adulting book and not talk about money. And yet I had to figure out, okay, where can I authentically talk about money and, um, and tell it in a way that's good storytelling um, and that helps people without trying to purport that I'm some expert on 401ks and, um, you know, savings more broadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was probably the shortest chapter as well, I, I would say. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you included it because uh, a lot of parents don't teach their kids about money. Therefore, when they become an adult, they're kind of like, hey, what, you know, like, how do I use this money uh, responsibly? And right. often people don't. So, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and we can feel shame around that. A lot of times yeah. if we are, uh, if we have a college degree, for example, we feel, wait a minute, I'm embarrassed to have a college degree and yet to feel so ill-equipped at managing my own money. Why wasn't I taught this by my parents, K-12 in college? There's often a big gap in our education. And part of that is our own parents may not have known or maybe it's because there's so much shame and sort of a taboo around talking about money that parents don't seem to know, even if they themselves are savvy about it, they don't necessarily know how to have that conversation with their kids. So yeah, that I think the, the underlying message of the money chapter is don't be ashamed that you don't get this. And now that you've put that shame to the side, go learn about this because you do need to learn about this. And, the, and I referenced some handy books in the, uh, in the resources guide at the back. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's another thing as, as a reader of your book, as a avid reader of nonfiction books myself, uh, like your book is the type of book that don't necessarily need to read every single chapter and every single section, at least for me. Uh, I felt like it was actually useful for me to, I did read cover to cover, but there were parts of the books that, that I kind of like skimmed a little bit uh mm-hmm. so i think all the readers out there if, if you're interested in getting your turn um 
that uh, it's it's not one of those books that you really 100% have to read cover to cover in order to understand everything. And that's, I guess that's a good thing, you know, because your book is about what, 450 pages or so? Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely a long book. It's yeah. 459 and it comes with a study guide at the end of each uh, chapter. Actually, in the hardback, the study guide is in the very back. But we realized for the paperback version, like, no, these four questions need to be each each chapter ends now with four juicy questions that help you unpack it, process it and kind of. Uh, figure out what it is you want to take forward out of that chapter. So yeah, it's definitely a book. You could read it all the way through. You can pick and choose. I've had people send me photographs of just how much they flagged it up with little, with little right. sticky notes, um, almost like it's a reference manual. It is highly yeah. indexed so that you can say, you know, what about that one with the story of the dog who da 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 da? You can like their pets in the index. Exactly. And we tried to really figure out all the different ways a person would want to come back into the text and find that that favorite moment or that favorite list. Exactly. Yeah. And that was so useful at the end of the chapter. I love books like that. You know, you, you've got a little uh, page that you can return to at the end of the chapter just to like spark that memory of what the, the whole chapter was about. Uh, yeah. Make you think, make you actually take action on what you've read, you know? That's, yeah. uh, that's the whole purpose of reading these nonfiction books or self-help books. So yeah, definitely. Um, I like that organization of your book. Uh, so you, you interviewed how many people for this book? You, you interviewed so many people uh, who came from a wide variety of backgrounds. I, I think there's 12 chapters with like three people each, right? Or something like that, two or three people each. So how did you go about choosing who to interview and like just piecing that all together? Because uh, yeah. that must have taken so much time to be able to, you know, get a hold of the person, interview them and, uh, and everything. So what was your process for that? You've got it in a this book's been around for just over a year and you're the first person to ask me um precisely that question and I really feel very seen because it was a lot of work um but I thought it was worthwhile and so I'll tell you how. it was I'm glad Matt <laughs> yeah I want to tell you why first I'm a black and biracial person I have opened up books my whole life and in the whether nonfiction or fiction realm, I'm often given the explicit or implicit message that this book is imagining white readers or straight white readers or middle class, pretty educated straight white readers. You can just see it in the examples that authors use. They, you know, too many authors are drawing from a narrow slice of life. I don't have anything wrong with straight, white, highly educated mm -hmm. middle-class readers. I'm just saying like, there's more than those people in the mm -hmm. world. I am included in that. So I wanted my book to be one that imagined as many readers as possible. So I knew I couldn't just bring my own stories in from my lived experience. I needed to go gather the stories about how people were making their way in adulthood and I needed to gather stories beyond the communities that I'm a part of as a commitment to all readers. Um, mm -hmm. And so I went seeking uh, more people. I also, um, again, was really struggling with my own authority in, in the early years of writing this. So I wanted more voices in there to give their advice. And what we ended up with is 
about three dozen other people who are incredibly diverse racially across the gender spectrum, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, degree of education, mental health situation, what they do for work, whether they're immigrants or their family's been here a long time, yep. their closeness or distance from their parents. There's a lot going on. And I put a survey out into the world um, and I got over 200 responses and it was sort of asking, are you an adult? If so, how do you know? Was there a moment? Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you don't feel like you are, what are you waiting for? I was really looking for that precipice. Mm -hmm. When is it that a person steps over into it and can stand there and say like, oh no, I know I'm an adult now. Um, I was really trying to respond to the millennial angst about I'm not an adult. I don't think I am. I'm afraid. I wanted to sort of to find people who, who had grappled with that so that I could put on the page what it sounds like um, to know that you're on the other side. Um, and a lot of people responded to the survey and we read every comment and then we followed up with a lot of the people and interviewed them. And that got whittled down to um, uh, whittled down farther and farther and farther. Um, mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, it ended up being this group of about three dozen and yeah. I work very closely with them to make sure they're happy with the story. It's not a one and done where I interview them and then they end up in the pages of my book. I give them the opportunity to read drafts and make corrections. I want them ultimately to feel proud of the fact that their story or a tiny piece of their story is in this book. Yeah, I felt like that was well-crafted. It read very smoothly. It tied in very well with the book. It, uh, you know, it wasn't like some disjointed story when I, when I was reading through all of those different voices, yet each, each one of them was very unique as well. Uh, I felt like it represented that person. I've never met those people, but I, I feel like I could connect with some of those stories. Some of them, yeah, not so much, but still interesting to read about them. Uh, okay. Stories of stories are always the unique way that we can learn new things. Right. And there was yeah. a, there were a lot of gems in I'm glad. Within those stories. I'm glad, you know, we know that humans, um, I like to say humans have taught humans how to be human since humans were human. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. Since through storytelling, oral tradition, it's how we've handed mm -hmm. down information, um, how we teach, um, how we recover, how we reunite. And I wanted stories in this book. And I know plenty of people learn through story and want story. I also know some people want lists. Some people want enumerated lists of what do I do? What do I do? So, you know, most chapters also come with a hefty list. Yeah. And so yeah. my hope is that I'm addressing different learners that way. Right. Uh -huh. So it's some people may just really look forward to the story section at the end. And others may be like, give me that 12-step list, that 15-step list, that nine-step list for how to do the same thing that's sort of embedded in the stories. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, because you've <laughs> you've been able to hit on each type of learner, as you as you say. So that's really cool, definitely. Um, yeah, so you have written two other books, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Real American. And yeah. how to raise an adult. Right. So I'm curious how these previous books have helped shape your process of yeah. writing and like publishing your turn, which is yeah. your most recent book. 
So uh, are, are there connections between the, and sorry, a second part to that question is, are there connections between those two books and this book? Yeah. So I just grabbed um, my copy of How to Raise an Adult. This is actually the British copy. The American copy, which I always travel with, is in my suitcase in my house because I just got back from a trip. Mm -hmm. But this is How to Raise an Adult, which came out seven years ago. This is Real American, which is my journey as a Black and biracial person growing up mostly in white spaces, attending predominantly white schools and so on and dealing with what we call microaggressions and racism. And really all of that eroded my sense of self pretty badly. Um, even though I seem was seemingly outwardly successful in my career and mm -hmm. achievements and whatnot. Um, they're all nonfiction. Um, they all aim to be narrative nonfiction. Um, that is strong storytelling, first person um, narrator, um, I'm trying to convey information about the harm of a certain type of parenting and how to do things differently. But with that first person um, narrative approach, I'm trying to create this warm connection with the reader, which is something I think that carries through all three. This book is a very vulnerable book. Um, mm -hmm. This is, it's vignette driven. It's um, small stories from the course of a lifetime. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of attempts to I call this a prose poetry memoir. I've leaned into my poetry background in this one to try to write for the ear as much mm -hmm. as for the mind's eye, so that there's a sonorous quality to much of it. I think um, I hope readers get that. Um, a lot of white space. Uh, you know, you open it up, but just the form is very different than uh, in traditional prose. Um, okay. And, and the new book, I think, is aiming to, um, you know, every time we write a book, I think it is the manifestation of wherever our writing has evolved to at that point. So I think the writing in this one is better than the writing in this one, because I'm seven years farther down the path as a writer. Um, and whatever I learned from the process of writing these two, I've tried to plow into writing the third. And um, okay. yeah, so... Um, but I, I think this one, which is so vulnerable, allowed me to bring vulnerable memoir into this one, because this oh, one yeah. we've talked about has stories of third parties and from my own life. So there's a lot of that um, of that vulnerability, as we've discussed, yep. shows up in this self-help book. This book turns out to be a real mashup of uh, memoir, my own story, self-help, the lists and biography profiles of these three dozen other people. So this book is sort of, um, um, it's an experiment, um, but it's definitely a result of what I had done prior of what I learned from having written the first two books. Yeah. That's amazing how our experiences really shape uh, like our writing experiences or our life experiences shape our progress you know the the things that we produce so that's really cool thanks for sharing that about your uh, writing process and how those other books have have affected uh your process for writing your turn thanks. so uh an another point that i wanted to bring up about the the people that you interviewed uh it was a wide variety of people right and in the yeah. at the end of your book uh you write 
very short, like one page or two page commitment to inclusion, where you kind of explain uh, why you have included all these people. And uh, I feel like it's a really good representation of what and who America is, right? Uh, Would you agree with that statement and maybe you want to elaborate on it? Absolutely. Um, thanks for bringing this up, Matt. Uh-huh. I, I'm holding a PDF um, uh, version of what you're referencing, the commitment to inclusion. Oh, perfect. Yeah. A little two-pager that's on my website. Um, if you go to my website, julielithcotthames.com and click on books, your turn, start reading about your turn, you'll get a link to the commitment to inclusion as a PDF. Mm-hmm. And I've, it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's simply, I mean, it says, I'm not going to read this, it's so long, but it says, you know, the human population is richly diverse and none of us want to feel ignored or othered on the page. We all yearn to be included. Um, inclusion is the act of creating environments in which any individual or group can, can be and feel welcomed, respected, supported, and valued so they're able to participate fully. This is the experience I want readers to have when they pour over my new book. And then I give, so there's, there's more verbiage, but then I list some of the ways in which uh, people in the, in the book uh, represent diversity. And it's a list of about 20 different types yeah. of identity or background or lived experience. And I say, by putting these people on the page with equal dignity, all are normalized, none are outliers or others. And, um, you know, there's even a story Mm -hmm. in here of a young black male who had a very, very frightening encounter with police on his Mm -hmm. college campus in an incident we might call, it didn't turn into tragedy, not in a physical sense, but it did haunt him psychologically for, um, for for, for some time. And his emergence from that and who he became as a result of that um, is an aspect of life that he and plenty of other people who are seen as um, potentially problematic simply because of their skin color. Um, that's a story in here. And in that sense, um, you know, this book contains a, a commitment to Black lives mattering, just as all lives should matter. And I think that's one of my meta messages. We, we want all lives to matter. Mm-hmm. And in order for all lives to matter, we have to do a much better job of bringing the lives, the stories of those who are traditionally kept to the margins. We have to bring those folks to the center of the page. And here's mm-hmm. the magic. So I bring in all of this difference. And then you get to learn about someone whose life path you have not walked. And yet you find yourself going, oh my gosh, I had that happen to me too. So you feel a connection to somebody who's so different and you see that our differences are real and valid. And yet look at how much we have in common. Yeah. And I think that's another hidden purpose of this book. We are so different and that's valid, but wow, we're all the same. And if we can get to that, we're all the same, then we can start caring about those beyond our own community. That's how we really level up as a human Mm -hmm. society. Yeah. I really got that message when I read those two pages and I was like, very, it's at the very, very end of the book. And I really hope that people don't miss it when they read it because sometimes people, you know, they finish the book and they don't read the acknowledgements or, you know, stuff like that at the very end of the book. So I think that's like, those are probably one of the most uh, two important pages of the book. At least they help 
they help you to understand like why you have included yeah. these stories from all the other people uh, out there that you interviewed. So I really connected with that and I'm glad that you were able to get that message out there because uh, yeah, we are different yet. We have so many similarities that, Hey, if we realize that we are similar, then the differences don't really matter. And we can try to understand those differences. We can try to understand those differences and accept those differences. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that stood out to you. Man, uh-huh. I really appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So uh, if you were to pick one section of your book, um, that is your favorite, uh, what would it be and why? Chapter five, uh, stop pleasing others. They have no idea who you are is five out of 13, but it's actually the one I wrote first. I've already admitted to you and to your listeners and viewers that I really struggled with writing this book. I had signed a contract, but then couldn't find my way in, couldn't find the voice, kept trying things that my editor rejected, just said, this isn't working. This isn't working. So I was really feeling like a failure and really licking my wounds and really regretting that I had signed this contract. And then um, something, I wish I could remember what, sort of reminded me of a set of conversations I had had as a college dean for 10 years, working with undergraduates, sitting in my office hours, listening carefully to them, describe their dreams, their fears, and everything in between. And my job was simply to listen well and hold space for them. So I tried to channel that deanly self into what is now chapter five. And um, it opens with, you know, you're at a family event, Thanksgiving, a wedding, a family dinner, and that, you know, your older relative asks you that question. What are you majoring in? What are you studying? Do you have a girlfriend? That question to which they want a valid response, valid in their eyes, and you have your own truth and you're pretty sure it doesn't match with their expectations and you struggle with what do I even say right now? Like, is it worth it to try to share my actual stuff or am I not safe? Am I not seeing you know, like all of that? I try to, right. I open the chapter with that, which is my way of saying, I get it. I get it. You know, it sucks. I'm not that person. You know, I am here acknowledging you when you are in the hands of that person. And, um, and that, so I wrote that chapter, opened it that way. You know, it has the advice piece from my own life about, trying to be the corporate lawyer and being miserable. I had done the right things, air quote, and, and, and yet I'm so dissatisfied and unhappy in my life. I unpacked my own story about how I undid that, took a pay cut, but got greater you know, joy out of my new work, which was to be a college administrator, ends with some good stories. And I sent that off to my editor and she said, wow, I don't know what you did, but you did it. Keep going, <laughs> this is it. So chapter five became you know, step one of this book, it became the way in. Then I had to figure out what else did this book need to address. Um, it was channeling the sweet spot of, of my years as a, as a college dean, putting that voice on the page. And that's how I figured out the book. Nice. Nice. I love that. I love that explanation of chapter five. Yeah. I think I mentioned earlier that my favorite chapter is you're not perfect. Yeah. Right one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, stop pleasing others. That is that the one that you just Chapter mentioned? Five. Yeah, 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 definitely. That, that was one of my second favorites as well. 
So you know uh, what I have to say, chapter three, you're not perfect, opens with a quote from Queen Elsa from Frozen. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> Queen, Queen Elsa said, let it go. And chapter five opens with another queen, Queen Frigga, Thor's mother in Avengers Endgame, who says the measure of a person, of a hero, is how well they succeed at being who they are. Mm. So just mm. a few pop culture references. I use, you know, I use those um, uh, epigraphs um, to, um, to open each chapter. I was very deliberate about trying to be very savvy about the readership and what what they were accustomed to by way of pop culture, even though it's not my generation, just to try to say, like, I'm trying to pull in the voices and that matter to you and the things you look up to and looked up to in your childhood as a way of providing the wisdom and advice you need now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. So, um, oh, yeah, that, that's another point. Like for me, like I'm 30, almost 38 years old. And I feel like the book works out very well for me. It has a lot of good advice for me. I think, uh, what would you say the age range for this book? Could anyone read it? Um, anyone could read it and anyone has read it. Uh, we've yeah. pitched it at 18 to 34, trying to address the people in their young and youngish adulthood who are saying, I don't know how to, I don't want to, I can't, I'm scared. The truth is, as we've said, if it's just the opposite of childhood, right? You're not a child, yeah. you're an adult, you're more or less in charge of yourself. People in their 40s and 50s and all the way up to 70s have written me to say, I know you didn't write this for me, but I picked it up anyway. And I felt so seen in uh -huh. these pages. I felt like you were speaking to me. And my response to that is, of course, joy. But then I say, you know, I think the reason for that is this book is a mirror that you look into and you see yourself where you need to. I can't know what you needed. I didn't know you were going to resonate with chapter three on perfectionism, but you did. Someone mm -hmm. else is really going to resonate with that chapter on self-care or that chapter on what is fending. Like, how do you actually take care of business every single day? Mm -hmm. You know, some people it's making a difference in the world, right? There's, there's just all kinds or just the, the story, right? The one story that that person really connected to about estrangement from their family or uh, making a career pivot when you're miserable, but successful, or, you know, just being really lost and finding your way through. So um, I'm not surprised that older people are also resonating with it, but yeah, it's definitely for those emerging out of that childhood and yep. looking around going, oh my God, you know, how do I do any of this? <laughs> yeah. If I, if I had read this at 18, I, I think it would have helped me out a lot or maybe 20 or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Perfect cool. age for it. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So, uh, I know you've got a lot of like, uh, your, your Facebook group is really active. You've got a lot of different programs and stuff like that. Um, uh, so what, else would you like to add to this conversation and like um what programs can people check out uh, or yeah. newsletters or anything yeah. like that that maybe people can connect with you on social media or through email or whatever it may be yeah appreciate that opportunity uh -huh. uh, the first thing that i want you and your listeners and viewers to know is the people who do ted talks um ha have invited me to create a course based on your turn um, so mm -hmm. it's about to launch in late June. It's a four week long asynchronous course where I've taken the content from this long book and turned it into little bite-sized videos, uh, 
a few videos a week for four weeks. I'm super excited about that. And um, we, I, you know, here we are, we're taping this in, in early June, it'll be out June 27th. And uh, from June 20th on, anyone can just sort of go to Ted, uh, Ted, I don't even know what it's going to be. Ted, Ted go to Ted.com, put, put in Ted course, put in my name and Ted course and, uh, or I'll be promoting it on my website, julieliftodhames.com. So that's my new thing. I'm super excited to have a great partner at content delivery, Ted. Yeah, to support like me in getting this. One, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I know, to getting this content out to people. Um, but um, in addition to that, I do blog weekly at a place I call Julie's Pod, which is where I'm vulnerable. I'm writing this short form memoir, what I'm observing about myself, my life, this America. It's very personal. And I invite people to subscribe. It's free. And I do a lot of engaging with people in the comments. So if you mm -hmm. like my stuff and want to read it short form on a weekly basis, sign up for Julie's pod. It's jlithcotthames.bulletin.com. Bulletin is the platform. jlithcotthames.bulletin. jlithcotthames happens. Book, Twitter, a little bit on TikTok, a little bit on Clubhouse. So jlithcotthames is where to follow me. Okay. And, um, you know, I have this anonymous hotline. If you want to say something and you just don't feel like you can be on social media about it, which I respect. Some of us are vulnerable, open sharers. Others are like, I'm not saying a word. I have this hotline, one eight seven seven. Hi, Julie. This phone, which is my college phone, um, will go straight to voicemail. Leave me a voicemail. Say what's on your mind, and then I listen and I and I share out on uh, Facebook Live most Mondays at noon Pacific. Um, I share out the calls that have come in. I share what the person said. I share my thoughts. And this is my way of trying to be inclusive of those who want to participate in a conversation, but don't necessarily want to attach their name to it on a social platform. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the, that's me in a nutshell. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm so happy that you have all these different things that people can uh, feel included and like reach out to you, even the hotline. I think that's a really cool idea because it's like, it's kind of a call back to the nineties, <laughs> right, exactly. uh, but, but yeah, it's anonymous. So yeah, um, that's really cool. Definitely. I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. I hope that everyone learned a lot from you. I know I did. Uh, so yeah, I really yeah. appreciate your time. I, I just am so grateful to you. You reached out you were in Indonesia at the time. You had my book with you. You were sending me a photo of yourself with the book. And that's just gold for an author. I want you to know that. Um, we can see our book sales. You know, we have a sense of sort of the metrics of our books, but the human connection is what I'm all about. So mm -hmm. to know that a reader cares enough about my book to take it with them or to be reporting out on it or to put me on their podcast, it just means so much. And so thank you for bringing yeah. me into your community. And thanks to everyone who's with us now for, for being a part of this conversation. And I hope that if something came up for a listener or viewer, that if something kind of pushed your button or you know felt good, that you take that forward. Like what was happening for you in response to what Matt and I spoke of, that's a little mm -hmm. bit of a clue from you to you that, hey, that piece of content uh, matters to you. So, so be curious. Um, ultimately, I'm rooting for all of us in this one life to learn and grow and figure ourselves out. That's the work that I do. And oh, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm delighted for anyone who's been listening. If anything came up for me, for you, take it forward, figure that out. Yeah, definitely. Great point there. Yeah. So 
yeah, again, thank you so much. Uh, that brings it to the the end of the episode. Everyone uh, watching, watching and listening, uh, make sure you pick up a copy of your turn, and uh, I'll include links for uh, all our websites and uh, stuff like that that you can check out. So, thank you so much, everyone, and see you in the next episode.